The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. Now, those of you who follow me on Twitter may know that I regularly retweet the work of our next guest, who has written brilliantly for The Guardian over the last oh, many years, but particularly since 2016 with the Brexit referendum and all of the madness that that has unleashed in British politics. And she writes about many other things as well. Her new book, What Just Happened, which has a question mark and an exclamation mark at the end of it, as she says herself, looks at a queen, various princesses and duchesses, celebrities, wicked advisors, reality TV monsters, billionaires, philanthropists, philanthropists, Hollywood sex offenders, judges, media barons, populists, police officers and other kinds of heroes and villains. And I think it's fair to say as well, Marina Hyde, politicians too. They do make an appearance, Matt. I have to say that covering British politics for the last six years has been a little bit like being chained to a lunatic, where we've all woken up every morning and thought, what's the lunatic doing now? Where's it going to drag me today? Um, and I sort of felt like when the book came out, maybe I would be doing it, releasing it in a calm. So we'd be able to say, look at that strange six years we all lived through. But luckily now, calm has been restored. It hasn't actually ended if anything, it's getting worse. Well, that's what I was about to say to you, Maria. There is no sign of this madness abating. And actually, before we talk about what's in the book, because I think what's happening at the Tory party conference over the last couple of days is entirely relevant. And we'll get in a moment to Liz Truss's speech this morning. But I'm also very taken by your new Home Secretary, Suella Braverman, which rhymes, I think, with Cruella, who said it's her dream to see a flight take asylum seekers to Rwanda. She would love to have a front page of the Daily Telegraph with a plane taking off to Rwanda as the photograph. She said, that's my dream, that's my obsession. It strikes me, and maybe I'm wrong here, but this is a woman who comes from an immigrant background, that she's a woman of colour. Isn't that quite extraordinary that somebody from her background would do something that you might expect to hear coming from the likes of Nigel Farage? Well, I don't think we can ever get into a situation of saying that because people come from a certain background, they have to behave in a certain way. I don't think we, myself, I don't think we ever can. I think we can just talk about it on a basic moral level. We don't need to get into things like that because we can say this is a ridiculous policy that is, deals with a tiny number of people in this kind of ridiculous kind of show trial way. And it doesn't actually tackle the main problem at all. So the idea that it isn't her dream, her obsession, her anything, it should be item number 687 on her to-do list. Let's come forward to today and the Tory party conference and Liz yes. Truss in what could be our first and last address to the Tory party as its leader. First of all, coming on stage to the M People's song Moving On Up, which has caused its own controversy. Tell us about that. Well, you just know whenever they pick a song ever that within sort of 10 minutes of them using it, the bands will be on saying, the Tories are not allowed to use our songs, we can't stand this, why have you done this? Um, this, song, this song is about moving out, this song is about someone having to sling their hook. So yes, as, that has played out in the time-worn fashion. And um, I, I don't know, do, do they not kind of scan it and see whether perhaps this doesn't work? I suppose Ronald Reagan went on the stump to Born in the USA, he seemed to have absolutely no idea what the song meant at all. Um, so, yes, I suppose it's it's of a piece with lots of politicians who've done these sort of things, isn't it? But you do, I, I don't understand why they don't check these things more carefully. Well, maybe they can't find anyone who would actually want to give their music 
to, to be the intro music for Liz Truss these days. Well, I see the lead singer, Heather Small, actually has a son who is a Labour Party councillor in London. I saw that. Which actually <laughs> makes it more remarkable. And the deputy leader of the Labour Party, Angela Rayner, quite quickly tweeted what was moving on up are mortgage repayments, interest rates, rent, prices, energy bills and food bills and many other things. So maybe a little bit counterproductive, but at least she didn't come dancing on Theresa May style to Dancing Queen. Listen, I feel after the week they've just had, if, if she came onto the stage, the set didn't like actually collapse or try to escape and she managed to just get through her speech, that was going to be regarded as a sort of a huge win. Um, given what could have happened. But yeah, I mean, this was, I find, it was pretty boring. I find these things sort of content free at the best of times. But, but this one seems, you know, but it's a low bar. It's a low bar. They're in civil war. So as long as people don't actually start having a fight on the stage, it seems to have gone quite well. But she did a thing which has become very prevalent over the last six or seven years and which is covered very well in your book. And that is she listed enemies that she's having to fight against enemies. This is, seems to have become the major thing in British political discourse, particularly from those in power, that they're having to fight this whole set of enemies of the people. I think you're losing when you're doing that. I really do. And if you look how many how many prime ministers have been got rid of over the last few years, I think, it, I think it's not a coincidence. I mean, you know, if you want to win elections, you need people to like you and not be your enemy. So trying to kind of confect enemies out of the ether and say, these people were against these people, were against these people, were against these people. I mean, she really needs some friends right now, having had the week she's had. So just, you know, trying to galvanise people against people seems to be a complete waste of time. Ultimately, she's got to persuade people to be her friend and not just list enemies. But it's, I think it's a really short-sighted thing that doesn't actually work. Let's come to the book because you say in the introduction to it that you think reality television has become reality politics. Explain that for our listeners a little bit, please. Well, I, I sort of feel that um, reality TV was just a big thing in the 2000s, um, and, but it now seems to have migrated over into politics. I don't think it's a big coincidence that the biggest reality star of that entire era was Donald Trump and then he obviously found his way into the White House. I think we have all these, you know, Simon Cowell actually dreamed of having a show all about referendums, which was, uh, so we have to be careful what he wishes for. And then, so I think that in general, politics, because it so much when, when the Brexit referendum happened and then the endless fallout, which we're still having, uh, when they couldn't get a deal and then also, and politics became this turbulent thing which in the old days you could ignore the week news for like weeks on end and just check in all right i see it's still going on now we're all glued to it and all these mps by rights you should never have had to learn the names of were sort of running towards tv cameras every single day they were on television more than anton deck of these people and giving no joy to the nation and so i think that it became this sort of reality show and it hasn't really ever recovered of course, we had Donald Trump in the United States going from The Apprentice to the White House. But there are people who say that the rise of Boris Johnson was facilitated by the likes of I, Have I Got News For You, that he became almost like this likeable pantomime character. Well, he became a sort of outsider figure, even though in a way he was completely insider. You know, he worked for The Telegraph. Um, he went to sort of very traditional schools and um, he, he he was an insider, really. But he was able to 
via those medias, by doing that sort of funny thing, I'm not the same as all the others, he was able to position himself as a kind of outsider, even though he couldn't be more establishment, really. Um, so those sort of things do help people. Um, and of course, Trump famously said, you know, I'm not, I'm not like these people, I'm... I'm a complete outsider, which was also a complete lie. Your book really has, it's hilarious at times, but it's also really <laughs> insightful in that you do clearly care an awful lot about what you're writing about. And even though you're mining humour out of it, uh, that you like having an occasional insult at people as well. It all seems to come from a, a point. <laughs> it all seems to come from a position, though, that would you even be angry at the way your country is developing? Well, yes, I mean, I am. I think you have to try and keep the anger out of the writing because then when you use it sparingly, it's much more powerful. And so I do try and do lots of things with humour, which I think is always possible. But I suppose ultimately I'm on the side of people who, all the people, it doesn't matter what side of various divides you're on, I'm on the side of people who feel like politics has been sort of done to them over the last six years rather than being done in their name. And I think that's increasingly almost everybody. Everybody is kind of caught up in this chaos. And I'm on the side of people who, nonetheless, because politics is a very high stakes game, have to try and make a life, make livelihoods, have prospects um, in a system that is clearly malfunctioning. Of course, as I did say, you write about a lot more than just politics in your columns, which are carried in this book as well. You also write quite about about Queen Elizabeth, the late Queen Elizabeth, yep. Prince Andrew and others. So how are you now with this? I presume the book was ready for publication, gone to print before her recent death. Has that made you a little bit perhaps anxious that what people might have felt was acceptable in commentary about the monarchy a few years ago will suddenly now be regarded as beyond the pale? Well, you see, I don't think it will do, actually. I think that Britain has sort of passed through that period now. I do think that we're in for much choppier times. I've always felt that, you know, some, having someone as such a constant on everything from your coins to your stamps to your... Someone's just always there. Once that goes, you have to think whether you like the next guy quite so much. And I, although, of course, the funeral and, and the period of mourning was a sort of great, you know, and was sold and covered as a great kind of coming together, I think beneath the surface, people, not all everybody subscribed to that view at all. So it will be interesting to see how all those things develop. But... Um, No, I I think actually you'll see more criticism of all that stuff now. And one final one. I presume when you wrote about Jordan Peterson, you having (laughs) renamed his book of 12 Rules for Life as 12 Simple Rules for Dating My Teenage Daughter, that you probably had to hide on social media for a while afterwards. Um, Do you know, it was fine. It was absolutely fine. I think, I actually think he's the sort of person who doesn't really can't really deal with jokes. I mean, which is such a shame. He's missing the joke of the century. And neither it? can I mean, his fans, Marina. Neither can his fans. It's they, no, the, the, they can't either. I, but I, you know, I think if sometimes you make lots of jokes, I think people can't really cope with it and go, if it's, it's almost sometimes the act of appearing to engage seriously with these things makes these people think, oh, I can get that person for it. I can really attack her for thinking that. I think if you just try and pretend you don't take it seriously at all, even though I do take him, people like him deadly seriously, you, you're, you're almost more shielded from that sort of thing. But that's just a theory and probably they'll all come to me tomorrow. Well, finally... I'm thinking, Matt, I need, that, I, need to come, I need to come to Ireland, help me. One final one, Marina Hyde. When is this madness all going to end? Because it is important to us here in Ireland, when, given that we share a border with the United Kingdom here on this island, given that there are all these threats to the protocol which was put in place when Boris Johnson was Prime Minister. This actually matters to us as well. Of course it does. I'm, one of the most arrogant things I've ever heard in the whole time 
since the Brexit referendum was people spending years saying, well, why doesn't Ireland just leave the EU as well? What's like, what, to help clear up our mess? I don't think so. I heard that more than you can possibly imagine. Just to make things easier for the British, no. Um, I, I don't know when it will end. It, I don't feel the people now have the greatest plan to deal with things, nor does anybody else. The markets have lost trust in them, business lost trust in them. Clearly, the people are losing trust in them. I don't know. If you find the exit, Matt, can you let me know? Marina Hyde, thank you very much for joining us. The book, which is highly recommended, is What Just Happened? With a question mark, with an exclamation mark. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today, FM.